0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Neighbor's Church podcast. We took all of September. We're actually recording this podcast right now in the middle of September, so we could get a little bit ahead of the game. Uh, fall is upon us, and global plague is all around us. And as you all well know, we are in the middle of a presidential political cycle, and it's just wonderfully calm calm. It's so civil. Our politicians, they're just exemplars of respect (laughs) and diplomacy. And, of course, we, uh, the well-informed people of the republic, we, of course, are bastions of civility when it comes to our political discourse. I mean, (laughs) obviously, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm just being snarky. Kind of snarky. Yeah, snarky, sarcastic, just trying to, you know, lighten the load Emotionally and mentally, that some of us are carrying as we approach November, we don't know. I mean, we're literally recording this uh, weeks beforehand, and so who knows what has happened at this point? But whatever has happened, Jesus is on the throne, and we're gonna do it. My gorgeous wife and I, we uh, we're gonna do it. We're gonna talk about politics here on the Neighbors Church podcast. Yes, we know this is fraught with landmines that will blow off our spiritual legs, if not completely destroy us, um, but we're convinced, as with everything else in our lives, no matter what theme or topic we're discussing, the surprising way of Jesus makes even this conversation on politics uh, categorically different. hmm we talk about politics as apprentices of Jesus in a radically different way. And we think about politics, we think about political discourse, and we think about the political process in a radically different way than uh, most of our neighbors and friends and family members. At least Alexis and I pray to do so, and we are praying that you as apprentices of Jesus would fall more in alignment with the New Testament ethic of how God ordained government, but how we as Christians live under government, in honoring government, uh, and then the complex place that we are here in the United States. This toddler of an experiment called democracy, government by the people, and us actually having a vote and a voice on very, very, Very important topics. Now, before we actually get into this, it's important to recognize um, you can't divorce your politics from your theology, and you can't divorce your theology from your politics. That's that's impossible. They they are just too far-reaching into the very facets of our lives. And I think that we're doing ourselves a real disservice to put our heads in the proverbial sand and act as if our politics aren't being influenced by our theology, and our theology isn't being influenced by our politics. We really need to have these discussions in a certain context at a certain level. So let's start here. Babe, who are you voting for and why? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Let's just go for it. Yeah. Let's just get after it. Let's see how many people we can offend at one time.
1: (laughs) Okay. I'm not going to say who I'm voting for or any of those things. But um, from the outset, we really just wanted to get microphones in front of our faces because... This is an ongoing conversation, even in our own home. Um, This isn't a do this or do that podcast, or we're not acting like we have all the answers. We just want to chat with you as friends, as Jesus followers, as the family of God. Um, And it's important to have these conversations because it's a real conversation happening in our culture right now. Um, As I said, No one has all the answers in these complex days. And it's so important that we recognize that. It's important that we are humble and we say, I don't have all the answers. I want to have a kind and um, grace-filled conversation, um, but I need to be humble and say, I don't have the answers. So we're not even going to actually say who we're voting for but we are going to encourage a third-way Kingdom of Jesus perspective on this political cycle. I want to explain that third-way terminology because sometimes I feel like it can be confusing for people. Um, The third-way terminology is actually used in all sorts of academic settings and disciplines. So, for example, a second-generation immigrant child, um, they are a third-way culture. So they look like and live in their parents' culture, but they are also fully Americanized. And so they're living this third way, so to speak. They're a little bit of both and not everything of the one. Tim Keller actually built his whole teaching ministry upon this idea that the gospel creates a third way in life. So it's not religious, it's not rebellious, but it's this relationship with Jesus And so we're keying off of that idea in this conversation. Jesus's kingdom creates a third way between all sorts of camps that are squared off with each other. It's not black and it's not white, but it's sons and daughters. It's not socialist or capitalist, but it's sacrificially generous with what we own. The kingdom of God is not Republican or Democrat, but it's servants under King Jesus. And so on and on it can go. We want that to be the big idea that we filter our conversation through this political cycle, this third way thinking.
0: The third way thinking is so important because as the camps are squared off with one another, there's an increasing intensity in that squaring off. We are seeing um, the schism, like a schisming—I don't think that's a word—or a chasm, a splitting chasm of our society. There's this incredible documentary, we can't recommend it enough, called The Social Dilemma. And um, it's the founders and creators and inventors of the like button on Facebook and uh, Google. And they, they expose how these algorithms create echo chambers and things of that nature in our social media platforms. And towards somewhere, and I'm not going to give you, I don't want to do a spoiler alert here, but somewhere in the, in the documentary, one of them is asked, if this continues on this trajectory where these camps, political, social camps are squaring off with each other, battling with one another and not able to listen to each other, what's going to happen? And one, one of the people with all seriousness, he literally says, this is going to lead to civil war. And so Jesus and the community of Jesus, we stand in the middle of all of this chaos Uh, where we are a third way of being in the world. We're a bridge of sorts. We're a mediating people. We're to be the people of peace. We're to be the non-anxious presence in the midst of all of the panic and intensity and chaos. But what I have found for myself, truly, and I I confess this, I've been trying to listen to multiple media platforms. So I'll listen to Super Far Right podcast, then I'll... listen to Super Far Left podcast, and I feel my emotions and my brain getting caught up in it and getting angry and getting intense about it and forgetting that I actually am to be praying for both of those sides equally. Yeah, And as we pray, there's light in the darkness. Um, Things for most people may not be as bad as the media and our social media platforms make them to be
1: we recently stumbled across a whole series of studies published by a group called More in Common. Um, This group devoted themselves to figuring out why our political situation has become so volatile and so polarized in this day and age. It's not hard. You get on Instagram and you see that polarization happening. But this group actually found that there's some encouraging and surprising Statistics that are out there. Um, they said that we aren't as far apart as we perceive ourselves to be on the whole. Um, overly biased and slanted media, and even full-on false news on both sides, combined with this echo chamber, social media platform, and information portals. Um, these these areas they're painting a much bleaker picture than what's actually happening.
0: Actually, like actually happening with most normal people, Mm -hmm. like not on the extreme right, extreme left, but like what most people would consider themselves moderately progressive, moderately conservative, the middle mass.
1: Right. And so our social media, CNN, Fox News, you get the polarizations, whatever podcast we're listening to. When that's the main message you're hearing, it's making you think things are terrible. So this group, more in common, wanted to learn how well Are Americans understanding each other? And so they partnered with a global research firm called YouGov to survey 2,100 Americans. Now, they surveyed these Americans on issues that were about climate change, patriotism, um, sexual assault, police conduct, and (laughs) lots of other things. That's,
0: That's like no small potatoes. Yeah,
1: no. And they asked these Americans what they themselves believed and what they estimated people on the other side believed. And then they calculated the difference between the predictions and the reality.
0: So the conclusion, uh, the conclusion is simultaneously terrifying and also extremely uh, encouraging. What these studies showed, though it was a small sample, 2,100 people, is that Americans have what they described as a deeply distorted understanding of each other. I hope that frustrates you. We actually have more in common with each other, but our social media platforms and our information portals are swayed and skewed in such a way as to square us off with each other. And it distorts how much we actually do have in common and how much we actually do understand each other. They called this America's perception gap. Overall, Democrats and Republicans, they imagine—so if you're on the Democratic side, you imagine that twice as many of your political opponents, the Republicans, you imagine that they, as reality, what they believe to be real, they believe that twice as many Republicans hold as reality views that you as a Democrat consider to be extreme, and vice versa. If you're a Republican and you're talking about the Democrats— you absolutely believe that twice as many Democrats believe something that you consider to be absolutely ludicrous and extreme as radical and, and as true and as reality. And that is not the case. We all believe that the other believes things that we think are ludicrous. And this study showed that that's actually not what is happening in, in the middle with the progressive middle which is the mass of americans it's the mass of our neighbors around us and our coworkers. and so um there's a real admonition to us here i think as humans especially as christian humans um where we are called to listen to each other we have clear scriptural mandate in the book of james the long admonition to slow our tongues down to stop speaking, and to truly, truly, truly listen to the human in front of us and try to understand and try to comprehend where they're coming from and give to them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Without Christians practicing this posture, I'm not certain that any other community will. If the church is not going to take the lead in listening to each other and listening to other humans carefully, still holding on to our convictions, but not squaring off and distorting what the other human believes. I don't know if there's hope. I really don't. That's that's the gravity that my wife and I, my oldest daughter Sophia and I, as we have political conversations that usually end in tears, because we're both very frustrated with the whole thing. It has to be the church that's leading the way. It has to be you and I that step back for a moment and say, okay, I've got a lot of podcast in my ears, political podcast. I got a lot of social media feed. Just the fire is growing as I flip through my feed. Whether it's true or not, we need to stop and take pause and step back and say, how can I learn to listen to other image bearers? What they're actually saying, and I'm not talking about the news feeds. I'm talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about a coworker and a friend listening to their context, their emotions, their their historical settings, because that changes everything in the way that we perceive and love the humans around us in the middle of this political warring and factioning.
1: And so Dan has brought us to the church and our role. Let's talk about what the Bible has to say about this. First of all, we are commonly unified by Jesus. And the political extremes of fallen humans shouldn't really have the priority of power that they have in some of our lives. This is the foundation of the kingdom third-way thinking. Yes, politics and platforms have their place, but the kingdom of God trumps all.
0: Can I, can I just jump in there, hun, and just say, um, I hope you don't receive that 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 line as a rebuke that our politics shouldn't have nearly the priority of power they have. I think my wife is addressing that something that convicts me, as I've said, I have found myself getting caught up in this, like getting really angry, like really angry and it's not helpful. And so a self-awareness, um, is important for us to, to recognize when and where we are getting caught up in a level of, I don't know, being moved by these things in a way that Jesus is like, nah, I don't, I don't think you need to be that moved by that.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's start with the words of Jesus himself, um, that he said, he spoke to unify us as his followers. And so just for a little context, right before Jesus was crucified, um, he was questioned by the Roman um, governor Pilate. And Jesus's responses are foundational to navigating the crazy days, the times that we're living in. And so in John 18, here's the story that we read. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, "'Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea?' Jesus asked, "'or did others talk to you about me?' Am I a Jew?' Pilate replied. "'Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done?' Jesus said, "'My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so when Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would be fighting. My kingdom is from another place. He's literally saying, children, we don't need to be warring for these things. My kingdom is otherworldly. It's not part of what you are viewing as these earthly kingdoms. And so we have to be honest, the likelihood of riots post-election are huge right now. Um, Everyone is talking about this. They are fighting for a kingdom, and that's why there's so much passion about these things. People are literally warring for their definition of kingdom to prevail over others. And Jesus let the empire kill him for the salvation of the world. He is our example. He literally says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's from another place. And so what does that mean in our political conversations? And in ways many in the church um, in this moment have kind of been just brought into the river, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and they're warring with each other Mm -hmm. when we shouldn't be. They're polarized when we shouldn't be. They're on different sides and fighting and putting their Facebook posts and their social media posts, all those things, when we shouldn't be. We're willing, actually, to kill one another, so to speak, for the kingdom that we want via social media. We slander people with our words, and we we mock the perceived idiocy that we think we see in another person. And even some of us call people fools. And Jesus actually said in Matthew 5, that puts us in danger of hellfire. I mean, this is a serious thing as believers, how we are approaching things. And so this just begs the question are we heralding our political convictions more than we are Jesus? Really, like, what are we upholding as greater right now in this hmm. season? Hmm. Uh, One of my teachers, Gary Brashears, he has this example of holding up the greater thing, obviously, Jesus. And he talks about, sure, you can point people to, you know, a McDonald's cheeseburger or whatever. But if you have this filet mignon, aren't you going to hold that up and be like, ah, this is the greater thing? You don't want to give them the gross, disgusting, pink sludge cheeseburger.
0: (laughs) 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 So are you saying that are the Republicans pink sludge or are the Democrats not
1: saying any of that I'm literally (laughs) saying hold up the filet mignon like hold up what is truly greater
0: I'm joking but that's kind of what we do we're like don't you recognize that the filet mignon is the political platform that I subscribe to and Jesus is saying no it's not no it's not it is a broken toxic filled with sin system that cannot save society or the soul and his kingdom is not of this world. And I love what my wife highlighted. Jesus actually allowed the Republican empire to crucify him. Jesus allowed the democratic empire, the, the forces and powers of government and the religious elites of his day to save us. Jesus allowed those evil powers to overcome him. And he didn't fight. He knew that he would be resurrected. There, there is meditation there and there's conversation to be had there for, for Christians around the dinner table that I think should at the very least precede political conversation and in some cases needs to, in this political moment, supersede those conversations. We need to literally be talking more about how Jesus interacted with government and what ended in that process. So here comes the brass tacks. Here comes some concrete uh, ways that we can actually grow in this practice of political discourse filtered in this third way thinking from the perspective of the kingdom. Um, because the kingdom, for it to be effective, it has to take precedent, precedent, not president, precedent in what influences our thoughts. The, for the kingdom to be effective in the kingdom and for the kingdom, then our thinking has to be more about the kingdom, of heaven Mm -hmm. than it is about the kingdom of men. I know that sounds circular, but this is, this is gigantic. And the more conversations and introspection I'm doing with myself, my own internal conversations with myself and the more conversations I'm having with Christians, the more I'm realizing it is so important that the kingdom of God take precedent in our thinking over the kingdom of men. Otherwise, we really do end up in a very hopeless situation. So here's uh, some corrective stats that I think should motivate us to really be emphasizing the kingdom of God above the kingdoms of men and women, humans. The average Christian spends an hour or two per week under the teaching of their local church or in the Bible. So about an hour or two per week, reflect on your own life, an hour or two per week, saturating our minds with the kingdom of God through the passages of Scripture contrast that with as many as 13 hours a day, consuming other forms of media. An hour or two in the Bible or at church on Sunday morning, and then 13 hours a day on other media platforms, listening to podcasts. This is a good one. Keep listening to this one, but political podcast, scrolling through Twitter, watching the various na- cable news programs. We really have to ask ourselves, how can we expect Christians to look any different when we are functionally being discipled by the, pundit, like by, by the pundits and the memes of this cultural moment, rather than being discipled by uh-huh. the words of Jesus and by the community of Jesus. This is a big idea that we've been talking about as a family. Sophia, my daughter, she's just absolutely brilliant. We're having these types of conversations across all sorts of different topics. And we've been talking about, honey, is social media going to be the place where you actually find help? Or are we going to find more help through intensive prayer, deep meditation in the Bible, so that we approach these conversations from the perspective of the kingdom? I think if you feel hopeless right now, my dear friend, um, if you find yourself just so frustrated, like there's no way out of this situation, there isn't any way out of this situation if we're looking more to the kingdoms of humans and to the philosophies and ways of broken humans to save us. Um... We need to return to a deep, radical orientation to the kingdom. And that is what will give us hope. That is what will draw us into a place of hope.
1: A recent study from Barna Group and the American Bible Society reports that daily Bible reading among Americans has actually dropped during the pandemic. Um, Really, only about 8.5% of the population um, are opening the scriptures every day, compared to what they were estimating about 13.7% in 2019. And some of that drop-off can be, you know, our schedules changed and there's this domino chain of additional responsibilities that's been created through the pandemic. But the data is also suggesting that there is this correlation between church participation and private Bible reading. And so when people are engaging less with the local church, they begin to engage less with their Bibles.
0: That's fascinating. COVID has really caused separation, not only from each other, but from the scriptures. And we need to return to the scriptures with full force and full focus. The scriptures actually in this political moment give us clear, clear commands on our responsibility within society as kingdom people. Here's what St. Paul said to his young protege, Timothy. He said to Timothy, under the Roman Empire, under this dictatorship, Timothy, teach your church to do this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. (laughs) Petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for Republicans, for Democrats— for all of the different factions that we see rising up in our society right now. And then he gets really intense with Timothy and he says, I want you to pray for Kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to ask this respectfully because I was, I have been struck by this. Have you personally committed yourself to prayer for Donald Trump For Joe Biden, have you committed yourself to deep, thanksgiving-filled, intercessory prayer for the most senior leaders in our society? Because this is a weighty responsibility that kingdom people have been given, and I think that we are in a severe state of disobedience when our talk around president or our talk around politician is just full of slander and anger and rage when Paul calls us to thankfulness and intercession. And this was in the context of a totalitarian dictatorship. We have opportunity to have these conversations and pray openly for our leaders with joy and thanksgiving. What a gift of grace.
1: I think sometimes we forget that prayer is our opportunity to literally go before Jesus and say, please change something move where we can't otherwise move or change the circumstances. We get to partner with the spirit, with Jesus and say, please have effect, have change. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that we forget that our prayers actually have impact. They actually influence,
0: you know, the get out and vote movements are amazing, but voting is not going to from the Christian perspective, from the kingdom perspective, what actually affects change in a society? What brings renewal in a society is God's people on their knees. And this is, we're talking macro. We also need to talk about the micro. Having conversations with coworkers, friends, family members, strangers, enemies, neighbors in the political, in the political sphere is to be so saturated with prayer and so saturated with this perspective of the kingdom, um, G.K. Chesterton. Brilliant. He once quipped, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. (laughs) Maybe you're finding that co-workers, friends and family members, even your neighbors, um, they're like you you find their political convictions. You just can't align with them. Are you going to prayer for them or avoiding them?
1: And so what does this actually mean? What does it mean as we're praying for our neighbors and our co-workers? Dan and I would suggest that it's really listening to what others are saying. And why are they saying those things? It's asking lots of questions. And really at its core, a Christian approach, a kingdom, the third way approach to, to politics is about asking, what is God's vision for a good and just society? And what must I do to cultivate it in order to move in that direction? What do I need to do to cultivate the kingdom of God? Even if it's done imperfectly, how can I move in that direction? And that's not to say our answers shouldn't translate to genuine convictions about policy preferences and those kinds of things. They should. But before we get to parties and platforms, political activity is about life in a community.
0: Before we get to parties and platforms, political activity is about life in community. Wow. I think we're going to wrap it up there. We want to point you to uh, some words from our mentor, Gary Brashears, and we're going to do this in two parts. This is just too big of a conversation, and we're already at a half hour here. You know, next week we'll talk about how you're not voting for a pastor, and I think that that has been very convoluted in the conversations. And we're going to talk about all sorts of other little tidbits and details. But Lex, do you want to talk here about Gary's admonition to us from Matthew 24? We have found it very resonant in our, I don't know, in our framing of all of this.
1: For sure. You know, I've heard a lot of Christians, you know, speculating that we're in the end times. You know, there's plague and there's fires and there's wars and all of this, um, time that we're in is just super intense. Um, regardless of your views on the end times, was there is there going to be a rapture, is the tribulation, whatever that is, one thing we do know is Jesus is coming back. And in Matthew 24, he's actually talking about the end times and this uh, this awareness that Jesus will come back. And he encourages his disciples. He says, "You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, Mm, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so we're not going to get into end times and eschatology and all of that, but we do want to extract from this passage what Gary Brashears has extracted from this passage is these three... Admonitions for Christians during tumultuous times. The first one is stay calm. We get that from verse six, where it says, You will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Friends, we are the non anxious presence of Jesus in our culture right now. More than anything, our culture, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, they need a person who is staying calm who recognizes there's a lot at play right now, but I'm going to stay calm and I'm going to be this non-anxious presence because I'm spending time in that presence, in Jesus's presence. Amen. Yeah. The second admonition would be to stay faithful. Verse 13 says that, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Right before that, it's saying that there's this increased wickedness and the love of many grow cold. But Jesus is saying, to the one who stands firm to the end, that person will be saved. And so I want to encourage you guys to stay faithful. There's a lot vying for our worship and our attention right now. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay faithful. And then last but not least, preach on. In verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. More than ever, we need to preach on as believers. We need to practice caring for the marginalized and the oppressed. We need to practice loving our neighbor. We need to pray for the baristas that we're interacting with weekly. We need to bring in the outsider. We need to preach on the hope and the wisdom and the truth of the gospel.
0: Get it, girl. You're preaching, girl. I'm, my hands are raised. I'm waving my surrender to Jesus flag right now. Stay calm, stay faithful, preach on. The kingdom is coming until his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Trust, fight, battle, pray. Shalom, friends. We love you.
1: Shalom.